everybody. You're listening to Beyond the Scrum, and this is Mark Carrig, a senior writer at The Athletic. I'm joined, of course, by another senior writer at The Athletic, Andy McCullough. What's up, Andy? Hey, Mark. And today, we have a special guest. It's Jen McCaffrey, one of our Boston Red Sox writers. What's up, Jen? Hey, how you doing? So what's going on? Like, what's, uh, what have you been up to, Andy, Jen? Like, what's your week look like here? It's Groundhog Day every day. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Everything's the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, what what are the days looking like? How have you sort of adjusted this stuff, Jen? Um, let's see. Trying to trying to go for a run every day. Uh, then I get up and sit at my desk in my room and stay by myself for about eight hours, writing and working on things. And then I go for a walk, and then I go to bed. It's full day. It's really exciting. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes the sun comes out, and then sometimes it rains. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, I'm reading this thing that you and Rusterman and Adler did oh. of a draft of Yankees players. Why are you bringing this up? From the Jeter era. Why are you bringing this up? Because this is one of the stupidest things you've ever done. <sighs> you took Mike Stanley with the seventh pick. I mean, this draft's a this draft's an abomination to begin with because A Rod goes eighth. Um, but like, what what are you doing? I mean, granted, it's not my proudest moment, okay? But it's not like I left center field on the unsigned free agent list when I put together a list of best baseball songs of all time. Yes, so. because as all as everyone thinks about with the core four, it was Posada, Jeter, Rivera, and Mike Stanley. They I had needed two catchers. a catcher, <laughs> and Posada was off the board. All right. You couldn't take Russell Martin no, in like the no, fifth round? No, I could not take Russell Martin in the fifth round. Mike Stanley had like a almost five-win season one of those years with the Yankees. And the way I thought about it was like, all right, if we're going to play this game where you're taking the best Yankee season ever, like that's the side door pick. That's the only reason he was up that high because Posada was off the board. All right. Now, in retrospect, talk about being too cute about something, all right, for this stupid ass project. All right. Like, why do you do this? Like, what? You didn't even tell me that you were going to bring this up when we met about this earlier. Like, what is this shit? <laughs> Okay, I got Adler all over Twitter kicking my ass about this thing. I mean, you Rustin, Don Rustin, who left center field off a list of baseball songs, is making fun of it. All right? Like, no, I, I can't. Like, by the way, and like, I am not to throw laughing out the, loud. No, not to throw Rustin the good under the players. bus. All right? But like, there is a player he drafted for right field that I could not believe he picked, and we gave him a pass on it. We gave him a mulligan, and he drafted somebody else who was an actual baseball player, and not someone who's reviled. I'm not going to share the name because it's that embarrassing. Wait, right? no, you have to. No, share I'm the not going to share the draft. Name. I'm not going to share the name because it's very bad. But like, the point is, Oof. all right, I'm going to go ahead and wear it. All right, because that was way too cute and stupid. I get it. But it is still it is still not as bad as what you and Rustin perpetrated two weeks ago with the 500 comments and the minus eight NPS. All right. Like, <laughs> you took you took Mike Stanley over Alex Rodriguez, no, Andy Pettit, David Cohn, Mike Mussina, <laughs> Roger Clemens, CeCe Sabathia, Wade Boggs, Tino Martinez, Jason Giambi, uh, Hideki Matsui, Gary Sheffield, Johnny Damon, Curtis Granderson, Alfonso Soriano. I mean, what... <laughs> Uh, what you were know you what? thinking? I, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. This is thinking. so bad. I, I wasn't thinking. Like, or <laughs> overthinking more like it. What do you want from me? 
right. was giving myself a hard time for not being able to connect to the podcast. So, I mean, this is this is a lot worse for you, Mark. <laughs> I, am, I mean, no, you know what? No, 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 no. Quarantine I am not going to take quarantine. Brain. I, I'm not taking this shit from the guy who left center field off the baseball songs list. I'm not doing it. Not from you. Everybody else, I, okay. Not from you. Not from uh, Rustin. I just I no. am amazed. Next subject. You found a way to talk about how Stick Michael was a genius by wanting to hit home runs and doing this. It's just amazing. Well, he was a genius, by the way. He was very no. Stick Michael was obviously like, a very not good with that, GM. No, man. Very Stick good. No, Michael no, no. We're not. Great. We're not doing an anti-Stick Michael. Pod. Yeah. Stick Michael yeah, well, was a very That's your next very list. Smart. Here's all the GMs better than <laughs> Stick Michael. Like, how about you and Rustin yeah. jump on that? That would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, best best Yankees GMs. Number one, Brian Cashman. Number two, Bob Watson. Number three, empty. <laughs> and then number four, Stick Michael. Yeah, that's good yeah, list. That's good. Anyway, anyway <laughs> hey, speaking of speaking of GMs, the Red Sox have a new GM, <laughs> or do they? <laughs> Actually, maybe they don't. No, they do, but it's not Heim Bloom. He has some other fake job, right? <laughs> just <laughs> he's just he's just sitting there as a uh, face of the franchise. That's uh, great. The punching bag of the franchise. Yeah. As it yeah were. What do what do people in Boston think of? Uh, I mean, if you could kind of give us like a a Maybe like a uh, the temperature of the fan base, maybe pre-pandemic, how folks were feeling about kind of where the Red Sox were at, where they were going as a franchise, both, you know, present and long term down the road. It's pretty interesting. I think that uh, fans blame a lot of what's happening with uh, the team um, on ownership, um, especially the Mookie stuff, um, which feels like it was, you know, six years ago at this point um, and not not in February. Um, But the the temperature on Heimblum in particular is everyone seems to be kind of giving him a pass because they feel like ownership basically forced him to do this, um, whether that was, you know, accurate or not well time will tell but uh but yeah i feel like uh people are just kind of apathetic at this point um you know i feel like they entering spring training it was sort of like well this season is not going to be great anyway um and then they lost chris sale to tommy john and it was like okay it's really not going to be great and then the pandemic hit and it was like all hell broke loose so i think uh i think this is sort of a just an apathetic phase for for red sox fans right now and the temperature of the team is just kind of like uh let's get let's get this season over with or let's get this time frame over with and and kind of move on jen what i'm really curious about that right like you you know like you said the 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 animus has been towards the ownership rather than the new gm right um why is that all right because like that and and you'd kind of said hey time will tell if that was the case where it was truly the ownership that forced this but i don't know why do you think that is sort of developed that dynamic why is this guy getting a free pass from some really demanding fans i think maybe because there's just a lot of history with some of the frustrations with ownership. Honestly, it probably dates back to like the John Lester era of, you know, not signing a guy like Lester and people held that over them huh. over ownership for, for a long time. And honestly still do. I mean, you know, in the middle of all this, the past two months, we've been writing a lot of look back stuff and a few things about Lester and you would, the comments are just, there's vitriol for the, for, for, for ownership, you know, and this is an ownership that brought them for, you know, world series, you know, since 2004. So um, it is the narrative around the ownership of the team and kind of the money that they spend is uh, so, uh, I think, lopsided compared to how the rest of the baseball world views the Red Sox. Um, I think, I think you know, Red Sox fans have 
of course, gotten used to winning and used to being successful. So when there's an opportunity to be successful or shell out the money for, you know, a once in a lifetime player like Mookie Betts and they don't, uh, I think that's where where things kind of get, you know, where fans kind of get extremely frustrated because they know the Red Sox have money. They know that they're one of the 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 teams with the highest revenue and, and that they can afford a guy like Betts and that they just opted not to. And they I think they are taking, you know, taking the blame off of uh, Heim Bloom just because they know he was new in the mix and it, it it very much has the feel that he was just brought in to kind of do this because they know he's he's been able to make rosters in Tampa that, you know, with, with a little, with a tiny salary compared to Boston. Yeah, and it does seem, it would seem, you know, if this was an idea that like Heim Bloom cooked up on his own, be like, you know what would be a great idea if one day I was running the Red Sox? Is I would trade Mookie Betts. Like, you know, it just seems like that's not a thing that baseball executives want to do. He seems like someone who's brought in, um, one, because he's, I did a great job in Tampa and he, you know, has built that into or continued what Andrew Friedman had built and kept it going and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also because, you know, he, as you said, he has the ability to rebuild on the fly, which is what it seems like it's doing. And I think we're, um, we're being maybe a little too, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that trading Mookie Betts is a decision made by anyone besides ownership. Like, that's that's what owners do, is they decide what to do with your most important, most expensive players. And so this idea that, you know, the idea that it was, you know, something that was, uh, you know, like not supported or something that ownership had to be maybe convinced to be doing, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, you can even kind of go back to last spring training when they gave, you know, Chris Sale the extension, kind of coming off uh, uh, injured 2018, and, you know, they gave Avaldi the deal, the four-year deal, um, uh, you know, basically based off the, the World Series game um, and, the, and kind of his heroics there. So, I mean, I think uh, fans saw that and, and saw, like, you know, those were kind of a little bit of head-scratching moves. I mean, maybe you, you know say sale has the track record but still there were a lot of questions about sales you know arm strength and obviously we know now um there's a lot more a lot more questions up in the air but i think fans saw those extensions and were like well what the hell you give these extensions and you could have given mookie you know given that money to mookie um so i mean i think you know there's a lot of different kind of narratives um at play here but uh but i do think you know the ownership aspect of it is is really the key well what's the truest of the narratives from your point of view, okay? Like, I mean, I think, especially in a place like Boston, right, there's an echo chamber that happens, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of stuff floating around. But, you know, from your perspective as someone who covers the team, and also just your gut and experience and all that, but I, I don't know, what what is the the truth about this, as, as close as you can gather? Like, what what is the real takeaway from what we've witnessed from that franchise in the last, you know, six months? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, they they wanted, you know, you can understand why a team, despite, you know, having, you know, billions of dollars uh, and being one of the one of the, you know, the, the top franchises in the in the country and in the league. Um, you can understand why teams want to reset their payroll. And it doesn't, you know, for an average person making an average salary, not in the sports world, it doesn't, you know, the the numbers look totally inflated and, you know, you think they should be able to afford everything, but it, it does make sense to want to reset at some point. I mean, obviously the Yankees have done it, the Dodgers have done it and teams do it 
do it. It just looks bad, I think, to fans that are shelling out money for, you know, hundreds of dollars for games and, you know, spending money on merchandise and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it, it frustrates the fans. Yeah, I don't I think there's just a disconnect between what the fans see and the these, you know, billion dollar owners uh, thinking what the fans should feel. Um, and, and they don't understand, you know, why the fans don't see it the way they see it. Uh, they don't understand why the fans don't get the financial aspect of things, which I feel like is a big ask. So, I mean, I, I think it's a combination of things. And in regards to Mookie, um, you know, I think he really did just want to go and, and you know, and, and test the free agent market. Now, obviously, it's going to be a weird free agent market this year. He may never even play with the Dodgers. Like, who knows what's going to happen with all that. But I feel like throughout his career and, you know, from every conversation kind of I had with him and we had with him, you know, whether it was one on one or in group settings, it always felt that he wanted to test his 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 uh, merit on the market and see what he could get, um, you know, in an open market and not necessarily sign an extension. Not that he didn't, you know like his time in Boston and was grateful for it. And obviously as a fifth rounder kind of getting a chance that, um, you know, he, he might not have otherwise them giving him a look, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think he, once he realized his, his worth, uh, he wanted to be able to, to, to see what he could get on the open market. And I think no matter what the Red Sox were going to offer him, uh, he was still going to try to, you know, see, see what teams, you know, would uh, kind of play them against each other. So I think that's kind of where they, they, they kind of fell into this, into this rut with everything. And it just kind of the, the narrative kind of like snowballed of they don't want him they're, They can't afford him. They don't want to spend the money. And um, it was just a combination of a lot of things, I think. Yeah. It seems like the issue with the trade more than anything else might just be the, the timing of when it happened. Like it seemed just like an odd time to try and trade him in, in February as compared to December or, you know, what have, you know, at the normal sort of more uh, standard time when those sort of deals were made, because it felt like there were only a certain number of suitors who really, um, you know, were kind of in the market for him. It was really just kind of like the Dodgers and maybe the Padres. You know, the Padres were real, but they weren't actually real because they were trying to, you know, include Will Myers' contract, so that's not real. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know, the timing was kind of the the one aspect of it that never made a ton of sense to me, like why they felt, okay, we have to do this now rather than just pushing it out till the deadline, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, coupled with the fact that, you know, the month prior they had just, you know, Cora had, they had parted ways as they termed it with Alex Cora because of the whole investigation that they were under for, you know, sign stealing. So they were in the middle of this, you know, massive controversy. Um, they had just kind of like lost their manager and were in the middle of even searching for a new one. Renicky hadn't even been named yet. Um, and, uh, and, and then they trade Mookie and, and, and price. And, you know, as much as we talk about Mookie price was, you know, a, a, key player on that team especially clubhouse wise with just you know leading a lot of those guys and a lot of those guys loved him so um they basically lost most of their identity in about a you know a, a six-week span between Cora Mookie and Price um and you could feel that in the cl- in the clubhouse in early spring training guys were just it was weird um it was just a weird atmosphere um so yeah the timing was definitely strange um it was a very strange beginning to spring training and then obviously you know it only got more weird with all this <laughs> yes it's only gotten worse <laughs> it's, it's it's been a very bizarre uh, stretch for the red Sox, but uh for everyone in particular obviously jen i, I wanted to just 
pop back to something you've re- referenced a couple times, and you brought up the Yankees, and and obviously this is being perceived by the Red Sox as a step back to try to, you know, reset some things moving forward. So what does that look like if this works to what they wanted, you know, the, as far as their plan? You know what I mean? Like they they're, they're going to have to make it worthwhile, obviously, to have to trade Mookie Betts to, to reset this thing moving forward. So what does the timeline look like? When when are they? You know, ideally, if if the plan goes right, when are they back to being the Red Sox and competing against the Yankees and trying to win World Series? You know, I think ideally, um, you know, it'd be sooner than later, a couple year type span. Um, it is funny, fans perspective, you know, I was talking about fans being used to fan Boston fans being used to winning. And I know the rest of the country hates to hear that. But we had one of those we did one of those athletic um like polls of the fans and we had about you know 1200 fans kind of reply to a bunch of questions and one of the questions was you know despite everything that's happening with the team right now like when do you expect them to get back to you know world series contention or when do you expect them to win the, the next their next world series and it was kind of like a 5 10 15 year span and and the majority of responses were within 5 years so even though f- fans are frustrated uh with this team they still think that you know within the next 5 years they can pull something off. And I mean, if you look at the core of the team that they have right now, they they do have a solid, you know, with Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and, you know, Christian Vasquez, they do have a lot of these guys signed uh, for several more. Andrew Benintendi, obviously. And, you know, you can look at their farm system and there's a lot of, you know, room for improvement, but they've got guys like Bobby Dahlbeck and Tristan Casas that are kind of on the rise that could potentially help out. It's pitching was obviously what they need, and it's kind of always been the elixir, um, you know, for especially the past few years. Um, and again, why kind of dating back to the Lester stuff, why people were so pissed about that, because uh, he was a kind of a homegrown guy, and they haven't really had one since then. Um, the Lester Buckles era in Boston was the last time they had a solid homegrown um, you know, s- starter, and, and they've always had to shell out for free ag- on the free agent market for pitching or trade, um, which is you know obviously where price and sale came into the mix. So they have sale for you know another five years, but what's what's he kind of look like after surgery? Um, so I think you know the the realistic time frame, I mean, maybe might be you know the five year span within the next you know five years. Um, but there's just a lot of moving parts here. So, I mean, I don't think that they, I don't think, you know, ownership can, uh, I, I I think if it gets to the point where they're not winning um, in like a two or three year span, I think, you know, ownership needs to, is going to need to prove to fans that they are going to shell out some money and, and spend big again to get them back, you know, uh, into contention. And they can't, I don't think they can afford, especially in this climate where, you know, they haven't seen the team play in a long time. They can't afford to kind of let them, uh, let the team be uninteresting or uncompetitive for too long. Why? Uh, why do you think it uh, is it? Uh, why do you think the Lester uh, mistake? I guess because there's really no other way to to frame it. Like, why do you think that stuck with fans for so long? Even after you know, like they won a World Series without him. You know, like the the world just kind of moved on. Like, what what is it about that move that kind of sticks with people so much? I think it was, you know, the initial offer they gave him um, was so uh, kind of like a slap in the face. Yeah, wasn't um, it like five seventy or something? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's rocks. like, and it's like, look at what Lester's done for the Cubs since. Um, and it, they kind of just thought that he was sort of 
not that he was on the way out, but that he, yeah, that they, the offer they gave him, it was like, he's not, he's not worth it. And uh, obviously he has been worth it. And I think it's just, you know, kind of one going back to the fact I said they haven't had any homegrown pitching and that's been, you know, they've had homegrown talent across the rest of the field, obviously with the guys that I just mentioned from, you know, Betts to Devers to Bogarts to Vasquez to Benintendi, but it's really all been about the pitching and they've had to shell out the money for the pitching. So I think, the opportunity to have had him for that long uh, is what stings, but also just, you know, the history with him. I think the Red Sox, Red Sox fans kind of like saw him go through so much and sure. sort of identified him, you know, identified with him with the, the cancer treatment and kind of, you know, him coming back and, you know, a few months after returning from the cancer treatment, throwing the no hitter in 2008. And um, there was just kind of a lot of, um, I think his personality fit in Boston and people really just liked his kind of, hard-nosed kind of uh quiet but you know confident type of type of personality that he was um and so I think that really was what was so frustrating on top of the fact that around the same time of the you know not signing Lester they were shelling out these massive deals for Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez and you know Rusne Castillo all these they were giving away millions of dollars for, you know, nothing in return. And they could have given it to Lester if they had just seen it that way. And they didn't. So I think there, it's a combination of all those factors that really just frustrated fans right. and still stings. And there's such an obvious connection too, right? With it's like, they're giving out all this money when not signing Lester. And then, you know, you look a few years later and they're giving these deals to sale and to Evaldi and Mookie Betts is just kind of, you know, sitting there, uh, getting closer and closer to free agency, I guess. Exactly. It's like the same thing happening all over again. So Yeah. Yeah. The the Sam and Uvaldi contracts are interesting to me because like the sort of discourse around them at the moment they were struck uh, is so different than how it would have been maybe like five years earlier because like I think like w- there there was a you know when teams essentially stopped spending uh, in free agency sort of reporters and analysts and folks we like we're no longer really uh not allowed, but we were no longer like encouraged through the feedback of social media and comments and fan reaction to ever like criticize a team for spending, you know, because like the, the overwhelming reaction would be so negative that it got to the point where, and especially this past winter where there was a lot of deals where I was like, what the heck, you know? And, but if you, you know, if you're basically saying like, well, this is why this team shouldn't be spending money on player X. Like you just get immediately just hammered, you know, for being pro management and, you know, anti-labor and all this stuff right and i think like the evaldi deal you look at it on the surface you're like wow that's a that's an insane amount of money to pay that man uh you know like given kind of his track record but when it was the only he was the only free agent who'd been signed so the reaction was just like hey good for the red Sox, you know good for the red Sox. and like three years (laughs) later it's like oh no wait this is part of the reason they're trading Mookie Betts. It's just, it's a weird, it's all like context, I guess, that kind of, uh, you have to have the long view on some of these things, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I mean, that was, you know, that deal was signed, you know, winter meetings about a month and a half after the World Series. So everybody was still kind of like riding high on, you know, that the excitement of, you know, coming off of that, that World Series win and, and, you know, the, the, 
this just like everything that he had put into that into that series um and sort of you know he had only been with the team for a couple months obviously come right. having come over from Tampa uh in the trade so it was kind of like you didn't even really know what he was going to be able to provide you um and obviously last year was super up and down and you know obviously not as healthy as anybody wanted him to be so yeah uh just yeah i that's all i can say <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I think Andy'd wanted to ask this, but I'm totally going to steal the question. Like, what, what do Boston Red Sox fans feel about Alex Cora? That's another uh, complicated. I feel like interesting, uh, interesting question. I, I feel like they're kind of like split down the middle. Um, there are the people that say that want him back. You know, that say if this if this you know season doesn't even happen and. Uh, or even if it does, and and Renicky manages, you know, uh, however many games they they end up playing, that Cora could and should come back in 2021. Um, and then there's a faction of people that say, you know, no, he screwed up in Tam- in uh, Houston, and you know, we don't want any part of that. And you know, this was this was embarrassing. And you know, of course, we're gonna get labeled cheaters again. And uh, you know, that's the narrative in Boston and, you know, in New England sports in general. And so they were kind of like... Was there like a history with that I, sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's another team that, you know, had <laughs> s- some issues with that kind what, of did stuff. Did like but... Zdeno Chara have like two sharp skates yeah, or something? Yeah, you know, it was the Larry Bird era with the Celtics. Yeah, but, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I feel like people are split down the middle. But by and large, I feel like they've, after, you know, kind of a, a couple months after this has all happened, when everything happened in January, it was all pretty raw. Um, I, f- I feel like now people are kind of coming around to that idea like, uh, okay, he gave the Red Sox, you know, two solid years, a World Series win, and it'd be weird to go back. Um, you know, I know the players obviously loved him and, and kind of, you know, anytime you ask them, they, you know, will praise him and, and kind of say they'd love to have him back. But I, I just don't think it's realistic. Um, but I don't know. Stranger things have happened, so who knows? But uh, but I, I think it's sort of split down the middle. But by and large, uh, people mostly feel that you know they can't. I don't think that it would be uh, wise to kind of backtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you be. Yeah, it seems. It's a you know, it's a it's a complicated situation, as you said. But it just seems really. Uh, problematic to put folks back into leadership positions after you know something like this comes out. That not just to, seems yeah, not difficult. to not to mention. I mean, when Bloom came in, you know, in October, he sort of inherited Cora, um, and then you know, Cora they decide to you know part ways with him. They fire him basically. They fire Cora, and then you know, there's not really. It's kind of a weird time frame for Bloom to hire a new manager. Right. So they basically just go. So he's he hasn't really had a chance to kind of hire his own manager so I think you know if he has a say in it uh, he kind of wants to have someone that he can bring in you know that's his guy um, and obviously that's his you know prerogative it as a as you know a GM chief baseball officer type so um, I think that kind of factors into it too not that he you know he wouldn't want to work, work with Cora but I just think he'd want kind of his own he probably has his own ideas of who he'd he'd like to work with day to day I I, I've always thought this about Boston, and, and, and I'm curious to ask you this. Like, it, it is such a different media market, I feel like, than pretty much anywhere else. Um, 
Like I, I was an intern there like a zillion years ago for a summer. And I remember even sensing it back then. Like there was a blog that would like cover the sports writers. It was crazy. Like it, 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 they would like go run down like the bylines and, and basically like, well, this guy slanted this way and blah, 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 blah. And this was like really early on in that kind of stuff. That's more common now, but this was really early on. So uh, could you describe, Jen, like what it is like to, to cover sports in a market like that, especially the Red Sox, where, uh, you know, people care very deeply about them. So what's it like? What's what's different about Boston? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's hard for me to say only because this is mainly, you know, the only market I've worked in. Um, I've worked, you know, covered professional sports in, I guess. Uh, but when, you know, you're traveling around the country, you can sense uh, just how different it is to cover other teams. And obviously, you know, I'm, we're not talking about like the smaller market teams, you know, even even when you're, you know, in New York and covering the Yankees or even, you know, L.A. or um, some of the Chicago, some of the teams that have, you know, uh, a, you know a, a bigger media following. It's still I don't know. It, it, the Boston market is kind of a, a weird one in, in that it's like. I don't want to say it's like more personal, but it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to explain without sounding, uh, I don't know, <laughs> without sounding uh, like pretentious or something. Um, I think it's just more, um, it's kind of like ingrained in people and people get really like, um, territorial, territorial about certain things, I feel like, uh, and yeah, kind of going back to like that blog you were talking about that, you know, was in the early 2000s, kind of right around the time of uh, when they won the World Series. And I remember, you know, I was I was like in high school at the time and I was trying to, you know, get into the business and I'd be like reading that blog, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think nowadays, but to, to kind of like see, you know, the different slants of different guys and, and who was good and who was bad. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different personalities I feel like. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, I don't, I feel like I'm doing a bad, a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> what, what blog was this? Uh, yeah. Bo- Boston dirt dogs. Is that what Boston. it was? Like, I don't remember. Which like, that name, name is it. so like, that name is so, uh, like, yeah, just hilarious. I guess when you're Boston kinda... dirt dogs. All right. It's, I think it's still around, but definitely not the same. And uh, the other, there was another one actually, Boston Sports Media Watch. I think that's the one mm. that yeah. I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there were like there were like two kind of uh, I don't know un- underground is the weird word to use, but that kind of yeah. like, sur- surveyed surveyed the media landscape from like a fan perspective. Yeah, and like um, I remember never seeing anything quite like look that stuff's all over the place now. But but so I interned there in, in the summer of two thousand and four, and I was at the Globe. And I remember, like, someone at the paper had showed it to me, and I had a chuckle out of it. Then I started writing, you know, when my byline started appearing, like, they would comment on stuff I'd write. Now, I think they knew that I was just some dumb kid that, like, isn't from there, so they were super nice. But then, like, I'd scroll down, and they'd be, like, hammering my coworkers at the time. Yeah. Like, they would just, you know, mm. like, just go off on, on whomever. And, like, I was thinking to myself, like, where else? Like, not even in New York could I conceive of somebody taking that kind of time back in the day to like, you know, offer commentary on the coverage. It was just like, this is crazy. It felt so I think so also weird. like when you think, when I think of New York, there's, 
like a similar amount of intense coverage, but there's so much else going on in New York. Uh, not that there's not a lot going yeah. on in Boston, but it's just bigger. There's way more teams. There's a lot more, you know, uh, just kind of the interest is a lot more diverse in terms of, you know, uh, all the different teams that are covered and, you know, multiple, multiple teams per sport. Whereas like Boston is smaller and it's, I just, I think the the focus is more concentrated. So I think that's maybe um, where a lot of it comes into play. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know if I'm doing the best, uh, best job of explaining it. It's kind of hard to explain um, unless you are in it. So that, that point you make is what I remember thinking at the time too. So like I'm from the West coast, San Francisco is a world-class city, but it is still kind of a small city. All right. Yeah. If you've been there, like it's really not that big. And so Boston has this outsized sort of influence, right? It's a big giant city, a lot of schools there, a lot of educated people there. Then you go and Boston reminded me of San Francisco and that it was smaller, right? Like it, 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 it it's like stature did not match its actual like size. Whereas totally. New York, yeah. the stature is there, but also New York's giant. Right. Like it is spread out and huge. So and, and and places like Boston and San Francisco aren't. And like, I think, you know, maybe to your point, it kind of influenced that that sort of person that like that personal part of it, because, yeah, like it is a big major city, but it isn't like, you know, New York, where there's a hundred different things going on. It seems like when the Red Sox are playing, when the Patriots are playing, when the Celtics and Bruins, like that's that's at the center of, of attention all the time, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I was just thinking, too, like those blogs that they were all like cropping up before, you know, Boston had these, you know, this massive run of all of its teams winning. Um, It was it was kind of like almost like I think I feel like Boston liked to revel in its own misery uh, more so than most places. And there were so many, you know, missed opportunities for the teams over the over the years. Maybe not so the Celtics because they won so much in the 70s and 80s. But but, you know, before 2000, um, there was so much loss and annoyance with like the the Patriots and particularly, obviously, the Red Sox. But I don't know if that kind of like played into uh, played into like we should be better than this type uh, atmosphere. I don't know. Um, but uh, but it was. Yeah, it's not like those blogs were, you know, cropping up after 2004. This was all kind of like pre 2004, right around the time, I guess, when the Internet was, you know, booming in you know the late 90s and early 2000s (laughs) this is only tangentially related but um one of the highlights of my career was a couple years ago explaining to my former my illustrious former colleague at the la times bill plaschke that the folks who wrote um parks and rec and brooklyn 99 and the office and all the shows he loved were also (laughs) the authors of fire joe morgan uh (laughs) He was like, what? <laughs> How could they do that to me? I love those shows. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's just, that's uh, neither here nor there. But that's what I think about. There. No, like, I, yeah. I, I thought about this stuff because, like, I don't know if Jen remembers this. Like, you emailed me a clip from, yeah. from way back then because <laughs> you were doing research on that. That It was an oral history, right? Uh, of, yeah, it was of, the A-Rod, A-Rod, A-Rod and Veritech. Yeah. Which, by the way, Chad Jennings, like, Wrote a fun story on yes. that this week in The Athletic, if you missed it, about uh, a friend of our, a brother of a friend of ours, um, Jonathan Lemire, and, and the, the Rod Veritech picture in the background. But anyway, like you sent that clip and it made me dive back in. Like I started looking through and like I just remember like the coverage. Remember that summer was crazy. 
right? Like there's a, the Yankees Red Sox were like uh, at the height of their rivalry, right? Like yep. it was just you couldn't get more intense. Uh, Nomar is gone, right? Yep. Like they made like this major move, like and 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 then they end up winning. But like I remember, God, like that negativity that you're talking about, that annoyance, like you could you could feel it. Yeah, uh, well, they summer. mean. Yeah, they were coming off that 2003 season where it was like so exciting. And then, you know, they lose on the walk off, uh, you know, the Aaron Boone walk off in the, in the ALCS in 03. And it was just like more of the same, uh, you know, frustration. So I think people were just there was like it was like it reached a boiling point, I feel like. Um, and uh, they knew that there was like potential for these teams. You know, there was Pedro and Manny and Ortiz and, you know, so many, so many good players from, you know, Schilling and um, that kind of were, were, were leading them. And, and uh, yeah, I think it kind of had reached a boiling point of, uh, for fans that kind of, kind of uh, spilled over into the, into the kind of like criticizing and uh, the media and, and just, you know, how they cover the team and how they, how they handle themselves. I miss the days when I could just get angry about sports. <laughs> I do I'd give anything. I give anything to just like be mad about Andy Reid's play calling again. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just would give anything to be able to feel that. Man, I, I miss having a football team. <laughs> I miss yeah, sports. Well, your Niners, uh, your Niners <laughs> really up. struggled in the Super Shut Bowl. Up. So, Shut you know, up. Shut up. No, 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 no. Don't start with this shit. You already began loss. with this freaking Mike Stanley stuff, and you're gonna bring up this <laughs> Niner crap. Stop it. Stop. Well, what? What? What did I say? Stop. You're a lifelong Niners fan. Wow. You've always been a Niners wow. fan. Wow! That's what you tell. That's what the, when you go to the Carrig, New York Giants fan right here. When you go to the Carrig family reunion, it's just everyone talking about the Niners and the San Francisco Giants and how much wow. you love both of them. I know. <laughs> I can't anymore. I can't. Jen, thank you so much for coming on. This was fun. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back next week with more. Uh, if you can rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe at theathletic.com. Have a good one. <laughs>